If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Art of the Hustle is a production of iHeartRadio. You're listening to The Art of the Hustle, the show that breaks down how some of the world's most fascinating people have hustled and learned their way into achieving great things. I'm your host, Jeff Rosenthal, co-founder of Summit. And on today's episode, I had the opportunity to chat with my old friend, Casey Neistat. Casey is a digital media pioneer who made some of the very first ever viral videos before the advent of YouTube and went on to become one of the first and biggest live streamers in the world. He's had his own HBO show. He hosts a really wonderful podcast with his wife, Candice, called Couples Therapy. And he's now transitioned to the West Coast from New York City, where he still makes digital content and is directing his very first feature documentary, which he honestly wouldn't tell us much about. This podcast was recorded before the pandemic, believe it or not, in the same room. And I apologize up front for the lack of context without really covering, of course, the things that are happening in the world today. Casey really surprised me in this podcast with his stoicism about his own accomplishments and his actual ability to turn it off and transition to a new way of being, which I personally find challenging. So please enjoy my conversation with Casey Neistat. And thanks for listening. Well, what's going on out here? What are you spending your time doing? What'd you do today? Well, let me start by saying I really appreciate you coming to my house oh, yeah. to record a podcast. That's incredible. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, here, I'll, let me give you my day. I woke up this morning at 3.56 a.m., a little early this morning. That's pretty typical. And then Gold's Gym. Yeah. Where I had a fantastic interaction with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Come on, this morning? Yes. This just happened. Dude. What, what went down? Uh, well, he gets there at seven every day and you know, like I, you don't gawk. Yeah. Them's the rules. There's all kinds of like bodybuilders and weirdos and famous people at Gold Gym. You don't gawk, you do your thing. Yeah. In Venice, California. Yeah. In, in Venice Beach, but it's, you know, he is Arnold Schwarzenegger and he's a, he's a, just a staggering figure. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing the machine this morning and he walks over with piercing eye contact and I was like, oh no. And when he got close enough, right? That's what I said. I said, 
you need this? And I pointed at the machine. And he barely moved his head. He just ever so slightly nodded, like a single two-degree head yeah. down. Not even back up, just that. And I jumped up off that fucking machine, man. And he sat down, and I, I walked away, and I was like, wow. Yeah. Fucking, man, I, I've made it, you know? I, I, there's so many windows into who you are <laughs> and what you value in that story. <laughs> One, I really appreciate your sensitivity to know that he wasn't just like coming to say hi. He wasn't like, hey. There was like I, a little wishful thinking. Right? <laughs> yeah. But you knew he wanted the machine. But I, I've seen him in there a lot. And like, I know he takes it seriously, yeah. which is so impressive to me because he's so fit for his age. And like, so I so respect that. Like when people come up to me at the gym or whatever, I'm like, hey, hey, can I get a selfie? I'm, you know, I'm always super nice, but yeah. it's a little bit like, yeah, I got to pause my podcast, bro. Yes. Like I'm in the zone right now. And, and man, in between us sort of disconnecting and reconnecting, you built a number of businesses. You made films. You became one of the most famous YouTubers in the world. You built a, a global podcast. You had, I'm sure, a dozen other projects I'm missing right now. But specific to the, the social media explosion, uh, you know, like that's, is that something that you, you're not spending as much time in that world at this moment, correct? You've sort well, of Well, yeah, I mean like you started by you asked me what my day was and I didn't make it till seven AM without right. getting sidetracked from some romantic moved. story. Keep going, but keep it's, going. It's Let's not um it's it's entirely relevant to your question. Great. Which is just that like, okay, so that's the seven AM and the, between seven AM and now I just kinda of fucked off. Good. Including me, like a friend came over just as you texted me that we had made plans, which we did record this podcast. And I sent you a text that said, hey, my friend's here right now. And I know we're supposed to record this podcast, but I want to hang out with my friend more than I want to record our podcast. Something yeah. which you respected, which I appreciated. But I think that's a pretty good picture of like what my priority is right now, which it's, is, let's just like, dude, we just moved to LA after living in New York City for almost 20 years between my wife and me. We have two babies, like huge transition. And I want them, like, I'm really starting career in a slower, more thoughtful direction. So, yeah, like trying to take some time to just, like, appreciate, you know, family life and, like, the fact that I get to be in this position and be able to do that is such a special thing. So I'm trying to respect that. And is this a departure from how you yeah, used to organize man. your life? You were, like, regimented in terms of how you managed your time in order to accomplish these projects? Is this a new way of being? Yeah, I mean, look, I've always been resistant to meetings because meetings are stupid and they're always a waste of time. But yeah. um, definitely in New York, especially when operating my businesses, like, yeah, you a strict schedule. And, you know, my YouTube show is every day, seven days a week for know, it's like 800 days or something insane. And that never got to be turned off. So it was like, it was just about as like, as stressful a self-imposed fun creative career could be, but it was still, it was still stressful, still a lot. I'm, I'm amazed by people that can get a lot done and keep that level of uh, uh, schedule freedom. You know, like my, my world is pretty dominated by meetings. Like I, I hear you, meetings can certainly be stupid um, and a waste of time. I happen to have lots and lots and lots of meetings. I imagine many, many people do who, you know, build their businesses. How do you get past that? What do you, how have you, how have you, you know, judoed meetings? Well, I mean, some you have to take. Like, I remember when we were raising capital for my um, technology company, like, that's, you can't, <laughs> can't fuck off and go surfing when you schedule a meeting or with maybe a venture capitalist. Maybe that's what you took. You took all the VCs surfing. That's how you raised the money. I don't know. <laughs> um, and then I remember when we were hiring. Yeah. Um, 
without being really, really, you know, 10 meetings with any candidate to try to land them as a hire. And then even once we got the company up and running, like early days, it was very, very important to make sure that the team of engineers and everybody was comfortable because we're in really uncharted waters and we needed them to believe in us. And, and that required a lot of communication and a lot of things that were super demanding. It was all meetings. And that was my whole life then. Yeah. But I think as I... Um, you know, as like YouTube became a greater focus and all of that, I, I started to really recognize that like most meetings are one to one. And if there's maybe three people in the meeting, it's one to two. But if I were to sort of take that same energy, that very fungible energy and redirect it towards making a video, it could be one to 10 million. Yeah. And any opportunities that I might lose because of an unwillingness to take meetings, I could, I could create a bigger opportunity by focusing on my craft. And those two things were definitely at odds when I was kind of at the height of, of my YouTube daily show. Yeah. And you've always been a creative. Yeah. You know, like my dad is a very, like, very stand up, um, very straightforward, like Jewish businessman is my dad. Like, you know, third generation running the family company kind of guy. And then my mother is this kind of unmitigated, undirected creative force. Um, but the two of them live at the furthest end of either spectrum. Got it. And then all four of us kids are just kind of like the Corleone siblings where like some of us got too much emotion and not enough, and not enough like rational thought. And some of us got too much rational thought and not enough emotion. And yeah, we're, that's where all of us kids lay. And you, you, you left home early, correct? But yeah, I was 15 when I left home. You're 15? Yeah. And what drove you out of the house? So I, I got into an argument with my mother. It was a little bit like a, um, she was like calling my, trying to call my bluff. Yeah. Like she didn't think I'd leave. And where'd you go? Uh, well, I mean, I'm in LA now, which is great. But like the 30 years in between, I'm not that old, the 20 just years right after, in between. Right after, like that you? night? Yeah, that night. That night I went to like my friend Donald's house, like at the end of the What's street. What's up, Donald? Yeah, like, call, I, like, I, like, I didn't call him because I didn't have a cell phone. I don't know how I got in touch with him, but maybe yeah. I just showed up at his house. Yeah. But yeah, I slept there for one night and then yeah. I had to move on because his parents, on like a school night, when like a kid shows up at your house, the parents get concerned. And did you get your own apartment or place? Soon uh, after? Or I mean, eventually, that? like in, in, it took a long time, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Moved in with, um, I moved in with a girl who was older than me and she had her own place yeah. and that was great. And you were just, and you were doing odd jobs, correct? You were like. I mean, I was like washing dishes, but I was also like selling dime bags in high school. I wasn't, yeah. you know, I was not like a great role model of a teenager. Yeah, but often, you know, that's a combination that could, signify a true entrepreneur in the future i mean sure i like i remember running the numbers when i was a when i was a kid about like if i bought like a quarter of an ounce for this much money that i broke that into eighths and i could upcharge the eighths of this amount and if i were to shortchange each eighth by like a quarter of a gram i'd get nine eighths and like yeah. i remember doing all that math and just maximizing profits while not like getting beat up by the kids i'm selling the weed to yeah, and I remember you were uh, also. You've told me in the past that you believe in, uh, in in plant medicine for treatment of like you know PTSD for kids and all the other things that you can treat with. High I mean, it's a bit of an abstraction. We're talking oh. about like high school kids smoking pot and smoking blunts in I was the back to parking the, lot. The doubt, man. No, yeah. we were, I was just an idiot kid okay. who like made really <laughs> stupid choices that yeah. I hope I've outlived. And, and on the creative there. side, were you already making films? Were you making art? Were you painting? Uh, what were you doing? Like, how how were, what was that outlet for you at that point in time? <laughs> That, it's tough. Like, I don't know that, I, that it manifested where I'd been able to sort of sublimate that energy. Mm -hmm. um, but, I, like, when I got uh, my 
brother Van first got a computer. I think I was 19 years old, and he showed me like a video that he edited. And I remember that um, that was like the most exciting thing I'd ever seen, and that really motivated me to get a camera and start making videos. And it was making videos that really I felt like I found a way to express myself. Well, dude, so, so this is interesting. So like you were how old when you started making videos? So your bro was like, check this out. I did this. And you were like, oh my God, this is a medium I can express myself in. Yeah, I mean, what was funny is that he had, I had a camera, because yeah. I had a baby then to take videos of, and he had the computer. So neither of us could make a video without the other person's, we're the yin and the yang. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Fun. Nothing like necessity. Yeah, it's like a to, true codependency. That's great. It's a true um, hardware codependency. And then what was the? And you moved to New York. You kind of did. You both go. Um, so he had already lived there, but yeah, I moved okay. to New York when I was. I moved there in two thousand one. I was born in New York. Yeah, no, I just turned twenty when I moved to New York. And what was your first sort of like step up? Like, what was your first sort of like platform or or piece of work? Or I mean, it was miserable. It was a miserable grind for the first couple of years, but yeah. then um, in. 2003, maybe 2004, Van and I came out with this movie that was like super critical of Apple computers. I and remember seeing it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and that was before YouTube, but it still like went viral on a, just on a splash page. How did that happen? What does that mean? And and for those that haven't seen it, you can obviously Google it. But yeah. you guys basically were calling attention to the fact that iPods you couldn't replace the battery. Yeah, yeah. Um, in a really kind of like yippee, fun, almost charming way. Uh, how did that happen? I was just frustrated. I was frustrated with like the experience that I had. I was super broke then, so my iPad was very important to me. I see. And I just like it seems so audacious mm -hmm. that any company would, you know, refuse to um, replace a battery. And that audacity, I was like, I bet I can turn that into a video. And then Van and I made it into this really fun video, and it just kind of popped. I think it was um, it was really just the zeitgeist. You know, like yeah. remember? I mean, how old, how old are you? I'm yeah. 35. Do you remember like early 2000s when the iPad came out? It was like the dopest dope that ever existed. Yeah. Well, I was, I, I graduated 2006 and iPhones came out, I think 2007 or eight. But iPods came out in 2001. Yeah. They were bomb. They were quite bomb. They were, yes. Yeah. So no, so it just You're came right. from a place of frustration, but I think the video yeah, exploded. I remember running with the CD yeah. player with the skip, anti-skip yeah. protection. 10 second anti-skip protection. Oh yeah. So yeah, I think it, I think it was like a right place, right time situation. But that yeah. video really brought a lot of attention to what. But we're I do find time. it interesting because I guess I always end up asking these questions because it's not my world, particularly like the influence space or mm. the social space. Like it's so bewildering to many of us that aren't like in it. And and yet again, it's like no, it was zeitgeist. It was like the right thing at the right time, and people found their way to it. It wasn't like you guys hacked a you know algorithm. Yeah, and look, I think that's the, ahead of I the think curve that's or something. The, that's that is always the case. I always think that the the idea that it's algorithmic or something, some sort of greater force other than just basic trends and human interest, um, I think is a is inaccurate. And so, how do you feel about this recent settlement? Half a billy. Apple's going to pay for slowing down all of our old iPhones. We knew it all along. We thought it was us. It's like when you are when you have a partner who's cheating and they're really slick and good at it. And every time you're like, man, I what's wrong with me? Jeff, I've, Jeff I've never had a partner that's cheated on me. Well, I don't, I don't know if I have or haven't either. It's just so let's hope neither colloquial, colloquial, you know, these slick, slick dudes or women that like you'd let run up your credit because they're so charming <laughs> and wonderful. And you just that, believe. That's Apple? 
That's, I don't know. I mean, look, I think... It's Apple's many things. Apple's both incredible, and they were slowing down your old iPhone. Yeah, I think it's just, look, none of these big companies are perfect, and I think none of these big companies get it all right. Maybe that's too generous, I think. But I think some maybe have, maybe have good intentions, and I hope Apple's one of those, because that's definitely been what their branding and messaging has been, and I hope that's the case, and these, these little, these things kind of make it hard to believe that they are... No, they're as true and good as, as you want to believe, but yeah. I mean, I think it's true for a lot of companies. Complicated though. characters. They're all complicated. Yeah, totally. They're all complicated. Well, right? and on the positive, Apple underwrote the purchasing of the largest sort of mangrove uh, in conservation, like I think $360 million project. That's so fantastic. Incredible, like carbon-dense uh, mangrove that was essential. Uh, and, and, you know, and I don't, it's like not even widely marketed that they've done this to be like carbon neutral. At the same time, it's like, yeah, I guess it's like Batman. We can't expect a uh, puritanical leadership when uh, you know the game's the game. Yeah, I mean, I wish to be clear. I wish there were companies that really, you know, like Patagonia. Yeah, like didn't they? Don't they shut down the day after Thanksgiving just so their their employees don't have to work on Black Friday? They do, and they do all kinds of shit like that. Like yeah. Patagonia is always like totally donating percentages to the environment and like. Mm-hmm. I'd love those stories, man. Yeah. What a great story. Well, dude, you've always been very philanthropic. You've used your platform. Well, very distracted. I appreciate it. Yeah. And you're making a movie currently. Well, I am. I'm just not talking about it yet. Okay. Well, how is that affecting you? Uh, It's a documentary, so it's not not a narrative. So the production is a little bit different. But um, I'm really delving deep into being methodical, thoughtful, and considerate in how we produce the movie and taking our time with it and things like that, which is so antithetical to what, you know, making a video seven days a week, every day, seven days a week was on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's a totally new process for me. Yeah. And slowing down is hard and, but it's, it's very satisfying. I, I'm a big believer in the, the idea that you, what is it, you spend your 20s figuring it out and your 30s doing it. Mm-hmm. But I just think the second half of your 30s, for me and a lot of my peers, you yeah. included, it's like early 30s, we're still, you know, those guys we were in our 20s. But by late 30s, we're married. Um, we've got kids. We've got shift priorities shifting more radically for more consequential reasons than we've ever had to navigate in our entire lives. Yeah. And, and also it's, it's a, that forces a sense of self-reflection that all of a sudden you start to take inventory like, Oh shit, Jeff's 35 now and Jeff's a little bit successful. And Jeff has a little boy who wants his attention all the time. So it's like, what do I do? Like, do I choose hustle or do I stop for a minute and maybe enjoy the fruits of my labor, which means I get to spend more time with my little kid. So you're saying it's like a, self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, I just think that like if if this is a trajectory one seeks and I do think there's a lot of um a lot of uh, our peers that are very ambitious kind of professionals that find themselves seeking family and that kind of um structure yeah. when they start to be our age like I I know a lot of the people that I surround myself with are in the same position. I just think it's it's a very natural part of it and it feels great. We'll be back with more Art of the Hustle after the break. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. 
This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. Is getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come along with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and, of course, drama. I'll be joined by some very special guests that'll be helping me break it all down. From award season nightmares to fashion week insanity, you'll get the real stories behind some of the most iconic moments in the show. The Rachel Zoe Project definitely changed my life and career in so many ways. The show definitely captured some of the most amazing moments, but also some of the absolute worst. I made the show for all the fashion lovers out there, and I'm so happy that people still watch it and love it so much. So do not miss this special takeover on Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Not believe I just said that. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Now that you're in a place that you know you have a lot of opportunity coming your way, you have a lot of people that want to work with you. You find yourself sort of in like the the sweet spot of this like sort of um, exponentially growing space world, and like every all all everything sort of interconnecting you know, online, you were a pioneer in this. Um, I, I imagine a lot of people come to you. How do you differentiate between people you, you should work with? How do you, how can you tell um, when it's extractive versus when it's additive? Well, that's, it's super difficult. Uh, I mean, just to put some clarity to that, like my phone definitely doesn't ring now like it did two or three years ago and it was really, everything was firing. Yeah. Like I'm working hard to normalize renormalize life and it's it's working and there's definitely like you gotta put your ego aside and be okay with not being the new kid and be okay with not chasing down every job and everything like that so that's a part of navigating it right now which is just like constantly evaluating my priorities against my opportunities but it, it was much much more challenging three or four years ago because just quantitatively the amount of incoming that i had um it was just like it was like drowning in a tidal wave of opportunity which is like the most wonderful curse ever. As you know, someone who definitely had ambition in my career, like all I ever sought was any sort of opportunity. And then all of a sudden, 
like it's like you're pulling at that plug at the bottom of the at the bottom of the the dam so hard, and all of a sudden the cork pops out and the whole dam falls and you're drowning. And wow. that's kind of how I found myself several years ago, and it was really challenging. I definitely said yes to stuff that I should not have. I definitely um, kind of took my eyes off the prize, and I didn't know where to direct my focus. And um, it was a very very frustrating time. Like the without a doubt the most successful window in my career, the window certainly to be sort of, as of right now, is definitely the most impactful aspect of my career. That window was also by far the most stressful, difficult time in my professional life. Yeah, I've heard, you know, I think that that's echoed often. And, and when you think about rebuilding in terms of, in terms of like the, the, the so you're going you're gonna to obviously finish directing this movie. Um, the opportunities aren't going to slow down. You know, like you, you, I certainly, you know, appreciate that you like pulled the ripcord because I think a lot of us just keep like leaning into it until we have like mental issues. Um, you know, and, and it's something I think is more prevalent than many people realize with entrepreneurship, you know, is like how sort of like singular and difficult it is because we're often, you know, stuck telling a narrative of like, yeah, everything's awesome. Like, and you said it, you're like, it's the most awesome or wonderful curse. It's like, but it, it's a curse. It's not, it's not something that many people want to like play a violin for and like really feel empathy for it. Right. You don't get to complain about it. No, exactly. But, I'm, but uh, do you have practices now like that you, you really, you know, carry forward? Like, do you, do you do yoga? Do you eat a specific way? Do you surf? Do you meditate every day? How do you maintain that balance? I struggle. Like, it's been very difficult. Um, I mean, to zoom out a little bit, like the last year in New York, when we knew that we were moving to Los Angeles, and I didn't want to be in New York, and I had, you know, I'd left my previous company after it was acquired, and I started this new company that was, um, I had, you know, somebody in there, I had a partner who was operating that company, so my involvement was much less hands on, so I didn't really know where I fit in, and I just didn't want to be there. It was a very, very difficult year. Um, but it did let me focus on what I wanted to do when I got out here, which was, you know, redirect my energy on family and focus and, you know, just try to enjoy, be psyched. And, um, and I'm, you know, like I started seeing a therapist, which has been really helpful. And at the beginning of every therapy session, I kind of say to her, I'm like, my mission here is for me to be better at this transition. And then we get into whatever bullshit we need to talk about that week. But that's kind of the umbrella as to like, you know, it's, 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 I have no sympathy for entrepreneurs who can't figure out how to turn it off. Like, oh, poor you, fuck you. Um, but I do think that if you're someone who has been ambitious and driving your whole life, if you get to a point where you want to deprioritize your ambitions and you want to deprioritize your hustle to prioritize other aspects like family or whatever it might be, that that takes work just like anything else. I don't think it deserves sympathy. I don't think it's something that people are allowed to complain about. Um, it's something that if I would ever hear any of my professional friends whine about, I'd probably give them a good smack. Um, but it just like anything else, it does require work. And, and what do you, when you think about, you know, content or companies or storytelling, uh, what are some of these universal principles? Like, I I know that like you, you just have had such a wide swath of, of interaction with so many different nationalities and ages and like, I think about you know that in repose to my work. I often feel like I'm in a bit more of an echo chamber. I'm curious, like what do you find to be universal when you're telling these stories for businesses or for movies or for content? Like what do you think just always connects with people? People want to be able to see themselves in whatever you're saying, and if they can't see themselves in it, I think it's a much harder um, as a viewer 
as a consumer, it's a much harder thing to identify with. Uh, so you say, like, even my daily show, which was effectively about my life, um, I always framed it as, like, my life is the example, but what I'm sharing are universal experiences that we're all going to deal with in one way or another. Um, and, you know, not even as an abstraction, but very literally. And I think that that's something that people were able to kind of identify with. So when working with companies or brands, um, you know, which is a, a major income source for me, if I couldn't adhere to sort of those principles, then I typically would pass on it. Um, but again, like when you when I had the audience that I had back then, it was like these brands just wanted access to the reach. So it's a strange thing that like they started asking, they stopped asking um, questions about the creative, and they cared a lot less about the creative. And they just cared about the reach. So it really left it, the onus on me to decide how I wanted to sort of, um, you know, work with these, these brands or embrace these opportunities in a way that would be a net positive for me, my audience, and the companies that I'm working with. Do you think that phenomenon has had a heterogeneous effect or like a homogenous effect on culture? Because now we're all drinking from a similar water hole, watering hole. One, we're exposed to more cultures than we ever were, but two, they're all kind of bleeding in on one another and perhaps the loudest voices are winning. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, th I think that, like, yes, like, there's more noise now than we've ever had to cope human with. Humanity has ever had to cope with, and that's insane. Um, but I also think, like, our bullshit, the sensitivity of our bullshit sensors, our bullshit detectors, like, the sensitivity is super high. And if you look at people much younger than us, if you look at like the TikTok generation, like their bullshit sensors are so high yeah. that they only see kind of like, you know, what appeals to them, what's their, whatever their truth is. So I think that, um, you know, when I think of my own kind of role in that, I think that I'd never appealed to anyone. I was never the biggest. I would never, you know, I never, there was always, there was always a, a more captive audience than what, than just my reach. And I think that's because maybe I'd reached sort of the, the limitation of people who are interested in the way that I had to share things. Art of the Hustle will be right back after this short break. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. 
It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Leila Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come along with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and, of course, drama. I'll be joined by some very special guests that'll be helping me break it all down. From award season nightmares to fashion week insanity, you'll get the real stories behind some of the most iconic moments in the show. The Rachel Zoe Project definitely changed my life and career in so many ways. The show definitely captured some of the most amazing moments, but also some of the absolute worst. I made this show for all the fashion lovers out there, and I'm so happy that people still watch it and love it so much. So do not miss this special takeover on Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Not believe I just said that. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. You're very artistic, like you're very artful and thoughtful. And、uh, all of the ways in which you organize your films and think about, like when I'm just in your office right now, like everything's very much、um, aesthetically sensitive.、Um, I don't find that to be. You know, that wide. Like, I, I, maybe it's just me and I haven't been exposed to it in this world as much, but it does seem that that's something that's very well, much unique. I'm very old. Okay, well, that helps.、Yes. You know, it's like, I don't know the exact years, but it's, I'm either the, the youngest generation Xer, but I don't think I am, so I don't identify with any of that, or I'm the oldest millennial. And I think I might be the oldest millennial in the world. You're the oldest millennial. <laughs>、um, But whatever that is, it just means that I sort of got to live a life and a career before I embraced a lot of the, the tools that kind of became synonymous with being a millennial, like social networks and the YouTubes and the sort of the ability to kind of create and express yourself through these new digital mediums.、Yeah. Um, when those things all came around, I had already sort of lived a generation without those things as someone who found success in the creative space. You know, I. I Before I was、um, you know, ever a YouTuber, I was an artist. And like my brother Van and I made movies. And the only place we were able to show them was in art galleries. So we were fine artists. But like, were we really? We just showed videos that would now go on YouTube in art galleries. Yeah. So like, we didn't find the right outlet, but we were still making the same content. And then after that, we worked in television. And we weren't making TV shows, we were making YouTube videos and just putting them on TV. I remember the Nice Step. Yeah, on HBO. Yeah. yeah, that was just a YouTube show. <laughs>、yeah. That's the same thing as my YouTube show. Yeah.、Um, and then ultimately, like, you know, 2012 kind of ish, the, the technology or the, the world kind of catches up with this, this aspect of creativity that I've always been excited about.、Um, And I sort of had this slingshot that I was able to use to share something that I've been working on in my own life for a dozen years, and I was ready to go. So, so you, I, it's like the Beatles prepping in Europe before they come to the UK. Yeah, maybe. So they're tight by the time that we. Sure.、Start. I mean, I think it's more just that, like, 
the biggest generation of influencers you'll see out there right now are these these much younger people who are digital natives. Like they've grown up with. Imagine having social media in high school, and then all of a sudden you're in your twenties. You're a fucking pro. Yeah, you are a pro. We can't compete with that shit. Mm-hmm. And and they all came up with this. And those are the ones who are really defining this entirely new space. Um, and I was someone who was there at the very beginning, but I didn't come up with it. So I had all this baggage with me. Yeah. So all this aesthetically pleasing niceties that you're throwing at me, I think that's just me bringing with me this education and this experience that I had in other aspects of the creative world before I got to social media. Well, and I also think that when you're native, it's hard to, to, it's hard to get outside of the tools that you've, when, you, you know, when you're a hammer, everything's a nail. Um, like the fact that you had the experience building the content before the medium arrived that became the thing that really enabled it to grow um, at scale and be in 10 million or 100 million places, like you said um, earlier in the podcast. I, I find that to be you know, why it's most interesting to get this perspective. And I think that that's why, you know, I find it, you know, there's, there's a lot more prep perhaps like you guys, you know, to be in the art gallery, to have an HBO caliber show. I, I appreciate that in your mind, you're like, that's just a YouTube show. When I think about what just a YouTube show is, the level of like conscientiousness or intention, a lot of it's the study of naturals. It feels like the people that are the biggest today are those that, I mean, you know, like Matthew McConaughey is pretty much Matthew McConaughey in every movie because he's that awesome or Owen Wilson or like there's these actors where you're just like, man, I just want to just like hanging out with this person in person. They just play themselves. Um, I find that, you know, like you, you know, whether it was the, the original bike lane stuff that you were doing or just the fact that you like sort of, you know, took the dive into the live cast, you know, phase of your career. Like, you know, you, you did that with almost like reckless abandonment. You were like, this is what the medium can, you know, take now. This is an interesting medium for me to express myself. I'm going to do it. But I just wanted you to know why I find your perspective to be so interesting on, on this space is because it isn't like what you grew up with necessarily. Those first videos, like the first video I ever made with Van when he had the computer and I had the camera was me taking my kid to the Central Park Zoo in New York City. Um, it was, this is like 1998, 1999. And then we edited that video. And all it was was effectively like me talking to camera, Van talking to camera, my kid like being cute with like some shots and then like a cool song under it. Yeah. And like that is the definition of a YouTube video today. But yeah. that was, um, you know, 21 years ago. Is that possible? Yeah. 1998, Jesus Christ. And people yeah. were like, this is genius. Well, no, back then people just were like, what is this? Like, that's where it began and it ended because I would share it with people by giving them a VHS tape of Come on. a silly video. No, yeah. nobody knew what that was back then. And I think that, I think that it took like, you know, 15 years of casting that line before I sort of found that, that vein on YouTube a few years ago. And yeah, like I... I ran at it because I'd been looking for that for so, so long. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why, like, I, you know, I think you could do, I think, I think my, my YouTube channel is like a thousand or eleven, somewhere over a thousand videos on it. And every single one, almost without exception, I wrote, directed, edited, filmed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, I think my YouTube channel is three or four billion with a B, billion views. Like, unbelievable. Right. That's insane. And I think that, like, a tool that I could use like that, where I could just make video after video after video, and I could just reach the whole world if I wanted to. Yeah. That's the tool that I'd been looking for my whole career, and it came in the form of YouTube. 
And do you think we're overestimating or underestimating um, its capacity for real, real world influence? Like, I know that some of the people you work with, like, have the re reaches that exceed that of the president of the United States, right? Like, uh, are they? Inf do you do you think that that influence is is, is is as serious as say, you know, like if we were into whatever I guess we were into as kids, whatever you know, we were choosing as sort of our. Yeah, I think it's it, bigger. I it think it's stronger. You think it's stronger? Yeah, like I think it's like. I vaguely remember my sister being to like new kids on the block or something. And maybe my mom was into the Beatles. Um, and I believe that she screamed and cried for the Beatles. And I believe that my sister like loved Donnie or whoever the fuck was in the new kids yeah. on the block, but um, they never had access to them ever. Yeah. When I was a kid, it was Jackass and like Spike Jones. I was obsessed with those guys and the fucking beastie boys, man. They defined my whole childhood obsessed yeah but the best i could do is get a cd or like order a, a vhs tape from a skate catalog mm -hmm. and kids today or, or this generation it's not just kids it's adults as well they have almost unfettered access i think that the the influence we're seeing individuals conduct now is a multiple um of anything we've ever seen do you think that this is like uh, in 10 years our president is going to be a former youtube star I don't know, but I think that I think our, our current president is someone who's a absolute has an absolute stranglehold on social media. Mm -hmm. He knows how to wag the dog with his his prowess of social media, and make no mistake, like if there is one thing that Donald Trump is ab absolutely virtuoso at, it's it's Twitter. Yeah, like he knows how to do that, and um, it's 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 a game changer, and I think that's why it's a, it's not. The only reason why, obviously, but I think it's a big, a big reason why, you know, like we're really questioning the way that, you know, so much of politics is communicated and why there's so many questions now around like, like the more mainstream aspects of media and there's all the skepticism that we're seeing, like, where's it coming from? I think it, that social media has given us this sort of global cauldron of communication yeah. that's let everybody sort of share their doubts, concerns, or their, um, more uh, extremist perspectives and things like that. And it all gets mixed into this just gigantic conversation. Um, and if you're someone who can sort of work within a space like that, like our current president is, I think that you can take that to like untold places. Yeah. And what do you, what, I mean, it's, it's, there's this thing uh, called the polarization index that's coming out uh, from beyond conflict, a great nonprofit um, that we collaborate with a bit at summit and uh, it just studies essentially our perception of how far apart we are from one another. We think we're doubly apart. And we think that we essentially doubly have disrespectful viewpoints of each other um, based on sort of the echo chamber that exists today. Like we all think that we think each other are idiots and that we don't respect each other. And we think that we're so far apart that our disagreements are kind of impossible to cross over. Um, and I find that when you look at the audiences of the world that you know, we're talking about here, they are really diverse. They really often do have, you know, um, that sort of overlap of, of these perceived kind of in-groups, especially politically. Um, so I guess my hope is that, you know, we can, we can, you know, I'm curious how, how it'll play out and how we can find ways to communicate, you know, the positive things that are happening between people, not the extremes, because it does seem that the medium tends to amplify those things. Um, I guess that's always why I was attracted to your work because it made me feel good. Well, I, Appreciate that. I think that social media is really good at making us feel really distant from one another. And um, that sucks. That's kind of tough. You know, like I, I think a good example is like 
in 2016, we're talking about politics, 2016, um, I was really kind of you know, against Donald Trump. I pushed really hard against his presidency and let my voice to, to you know, try not to elect him for a lot of reasons. And I couldn't imagine why somebody would vote for him. Mm-hmm. And then like my dad voted for him. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I like my dad. Yeah. I disagree with him here, but it doesn't mean like I don't, doesn't mean that we don't have a lot in common and I don't want to be near him and I don't want to communicate with him and I don't want to try to understand his perspectives. So I think that it just taken from afar, oh, look, like here's a gray-haired guy in his 60s who voted for somebody who's different from who I voted for. Like, we don't get along. Mm-hmm. We're not the same person. We can't, we can't get along well. And like, when you start to look at it, you're like, no, 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 we can. So yeah, too much time on Twitter can make you think maybe that we're further apart as people than, than we actually are. Yeah. What would you want to leave us with, Casey, if we're, if we're on the come up? Um, when, you, when you look back and you think about you know, some of the things that helped you differentiate, that helped you break out, um, whether there were qualities or characteristics you know, that you really like, you know, your principles, do you have any that come to mind? Um, I mean, like persistence and determination, I think, are, are number one. Like if, if there's something you want, typically the only thing that will guarantee your success in, in getting that is an absolute relentlessness. Um, you know, a kind of a kind of persistence that is uh, that is blind to everything else, and I think that that there's not a lot of that out there. I think there's been like a romanticization of hustling because of podcasts like yours that glamorize this idea and make it seem fun and stuff, so people want to try it out. And I, I have almost a more defeatist perspective, which is like, look, either you have that or you don't. Either you were cursed with ambition or you weren't, and you get to live maybe a normal life. But it's not a decision because you don't get to try it out. Um, but if there's something you actually want, you commit everything you've got to it, you will find some version of success in, on that trajectory. And um, yeah, so in any event, I think that, that persistence, persistence, persistence is, is everything. Did you have a moment that you feel like that, that broke you out of that? Or you really do think it was like, it was, it was written in you, like it's in your No, it was, it was written. I didn't have a choice. I mean, I had a kid. I had, yeah. I had my choice was like provide him with a life uh-huh. or not. And that's not a choice at all. Like that's like, that's like you choosing to breathe or not. Like you don't, that's not a choice. To a degree. You're a smart guy. You could have gotten a stable job, you know? I mean, maybe, but, um, I don't know. Like I've, I've got a 10th grade education. Okay. You, know, you don't, it's, it's, I think that when I looked at my options of things that excited me when I was young, that I thought I could dominate, uh, commercial real estate or anything more formal. Mm-hmm. I think anything that could have been defined then was something I couldn't pursue. Yeah. Because there aren't many pursuits that cater to 10th grade high school dropout. So I had to create the path. I couldn't find one to follow. Yeah. Wow. Well, Casey, thank you. I really appreciate you coming on the program. Dude, thanks for coming over and setting all this shit up, man. I appreciate you. My pleasure. My pleasure. I'm happy to do it where, you know, it was a 10 minute drive. It's not, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, a huge lift and uh, yeah, man, just, just more generally uh, keep rocking out there. Please come back on the podcast. Appreciate it. See you soon. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. 
Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. 